Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast. We're back for another week. There's only run one round to go, which blows my tiny mind. Finals are just around the corner, but it's an exciting race to the finals and we can't wait to take you through it. Before we begin, though, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. So today you have me, Marissa Lodanik, and Marnie Vinyl to take you through all the AFLW action. There was another big round. There's some huge results, like literally huge results in this last round of action. So let's have a quick recap of the round that just was. We had the Saints beating Geelong by nine to kick things off. Richmond got off to a great start and held on against the Giants to win by eight points. Melbourne cracked the ton and beat Frio by 88 points, which is Absolutely bananas, even as I say it now with many, many days to process it. The Dogs were big winners over West Coast by 60 points. Brisbane beat North by 36. The Crows, it was tight. They ended up getting the Chockeys over the Pies by two points. And Carlton continued their good second half of the season form with a 30-point win over Gold Coast. So there was a lot to like from this round, a lot to talk about. So let's get into it. As I said, we're one round from finals. There's only a few games left before we enter the final series. We talked about it a little bit last week, but let's kind of revisit where we're at in terms of the run home to finals. So, Marnie, take us through how things are looking on the ladder and can we fit seven teams into six spots? I don't think we can, but explain it a little bit to us. That was such an exciting round that we had so many, so many just amazing storylines with the 50th games and then Melbourne cracking the 100 and these really exciting games. Oh, it was brilliant. And St Kilda, I just want to give a shout out to St Kilda who got their first back-to-back win in the women's, you know, club history. And they may escape that wooden spoon that, you know, was kind of tagged on them throughout the season. So, you know, that's great for them, not so great for West Coast or Geelong, who may get the wooden spoon. But yes, run home to finals. So after that round, the Suns and the Giants both say goodbye to their finals hopes. Though they both had quite good seasons, I think, especially the Suns in particular. We all had them as wooden spooners. and They didn't have a single win last season. To have such a brilliant and exciting season, I think that if I was a Suns fan, I mean, I am, I'm a fan of the Suns, but, you know, if I was a Suns fan, I would just be so wrapped with how that they've played and how they're going to go in the future because they've showed so much promise and so much to look forward to. Same with the Giants. I think... The Giants had a lot um, of COVID complications. All the teams did, but the Giants had a lot of COVID complications. So it'll be interesting to see next season uh, where hopefully it'll be a bit more of their full potential. But after that round, we say goodbye to those two, but the sixth position is still vulnerable. It still could change. The Pies currently hold it, but the Western Bulldogs and Collingwood will both rival for that position, which is going to be really exciting. So Collingwood next play Richmond. And if they win that game, they're locked into finals. If they lose that game and Bulldogs win, it's Bulldogs spot. But then, you know, if Bulldogs lose, they'll still have it. 
So it's going to be really exciting to watch that Collingwood-Richmond game. I think a lot of people will have a lot of eyes on it, um, you know, Pies and Doggies fans alike. Dogs next play Lions. So for them to win, that's a bit more of a, a tougher feat, but we've seen them go toe-to-toe with some of the best teams in the comp. You know, they beat Adelaide in Adelaide, which in that upset of the season that was so thrilling, they definitely could beat Lions. Like, it is not off the table at all. So that's going to be really exciting. And then Carlton. Carlton is still mathematically in with a shot. So they next play Melbourne in Casey and they have to win and they have to win by a big margin. Um, Collingwood and Bulldogs both have to lose for them to get in that sixth spot. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's not as if, you know, three things have to happen, but they, but they could happen. You never know. If I was a Carlton supporter, I wouldn't be, you know, saying goodbye just... Yeah. And as I said last week on the pod, if they do make it, I'm buying everyone at ESPN of VR. So maybe I don't want them to get it. We'll see. But that's a very exciting run home to the finals. Big things happening. Your bank account is like, I think Carlton should not make finals because there are <laughs> yeah. a lot of people at ESPN and that's a lot of beer. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe just the footy. Just us. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think, as I said, I, I do love that you're so positive about Carlton. Like, Technically, mathematically, mm. it mm. could happen, but I think my focus is definitely on on the pies and the dogs. I've made no secret. I'm a dogs fan. So, of course, my heart is like, yes, I would love them to play finals. I think that would be awesome. And I kind of like the way that it is set up because we spoke a little bit about this pre-pod. I said that Collingwood, based on the season as a whole, have in my opinion, shown more kind of finals chops. They've Mm -hmm. looked more kind of in and around the level. So if they do make it, I definitely won't be surprised. They've got Richmond coming up next who were impressive against the Giants. Their kind of first quarter was so hot. It was ridiculous. It was almost like they Mm -hmm. were... They were only playing one quarter. They're like, we've got to get everything done now immediately. We've got to go, we've got to go, we've got to go, we've got to go, kind of thing. Um, So I think... You know, Richmond will offer something against the Pies. I do think the Pies will win, though. The Dogs, on the other hand, because they've got Brisbane, I think it's a really good test in the sense that, well, if you can't beat beat Brisbane, you're not going to do anything in finals anyway. So they've really got to Mm -hmm. earn it and kind of, you know, show what they are capable of. And Brisbane's an absolutely fantastic opponent to do that against. So I'm going to be really interested to see, especially um, considering Brisbane's win over North. I think we had flagged that, that there were a couple of kind of finals games in this last round and Brisbane North was definitely one of them. I'm not surprised that Brisbane won, but I am a little bit surprised by the margin. I really thought North could have and should have offered a little bit more than they did. So I'm going to be watching with bated breath and I think everyone will be as we kind of watch these final few games, but let's Look at one of the other huge games that happened this weekend. It was huge. Like, there's no other word for it. Melbourne finally created a little bit of AFLW history, hit the 100-point mark. It was an unbelievable performance. It was There was so much already riding on this game and so much hype leading up to it because, as we said, there were a few games that kind of had finals Um almost finals-ish looks to them. And this was absolutely no exception, but I don't think anyone would have picked 88-point win over Freya. Obviously, 
there's there's some context and some things that definitely come into consideration with this game. But let's talk about the milestone kind of first and foremost. How impressive were the Ds to, to rack up 100 points? Just such a classy, classy game from the Melbourne Demons. It was so impressive. So for the context, Fremantle were incredibly depleted. They had five key players out for health and safety protocols and last minute as well. So it was a bit of last minute adjustment um, at Fremantle and I don't envy you know, being a coach in that position, I think that that is a nightmare, especially when you've got some of your absolute key players like Ebony Antonio, who's been just some of the goals of the year contentions going on and Cara Antonio. Um, obviously, they both were out because they lived together. Um, yeah, so incredibly depleted Fremantle team. But Melbourne, and I, and I don't think that we can be like, oh, well, Melbourne just won because Frio were so depleted. Yes, that absolutely contributed to the win. But the 88-point win was definitely off the back of Melbourne just being such an incredibly impressive team effort. They had some of just, just clean passages of play and just high-quality um, team effort to get – the, the, the way the ball transitioned up the field was just so impressive, you know, and the Demons play a brand of footy that is very uh, kick and mark, kick and mark, and this absolutely just worked for them. They were able to convert into goals. They had eight goal kickers, you know, Daisy Pierce, Taylor Harris, Kate Hall, Karen Paxman, who Karen Paxman got two goals, and Gemma Bastiani, when she was commentating the other day, said that um, – Karen Paxman has never kicked more than one goal in a game, which is kind of hard to believe as such an incredible player. But so she broke that. We love it. Shelly Scott, Alyssa Bannon and Casey Sheriff. And the big story in that is Daisy Pierce kicked five goals. We absolutely love to see this. So she's equaled uh, the most goals kicked in a game by a single player. And it's so hard not to get up and about when Daisy Pierce is up and about. It was just awesome. It was just awesome to see Uh, and hopefully you know they'll bring that game into the finals because I'm so excited to watch this in that in those finals and you know hopefully in the grand final because I picked them as the flag contender and I love to be right so (laughs) really want to see them go all the way. Everyone on this pod I think tipped Melbourne for the flag and it is nice that you know when all of the parts are working like they were on the weekend Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it was so good. And, you know, Anna, who is usually on this pod, has spoken about it so much, but just that Taylor Harris has added mm-hmm. something else, but she's not the focal point. And that multi dimensionality of the, the D's forward line is just so important to the way mm-hmm. they go about it. And I think we'll talk about it a little bit. I just wanted to go back to um, Frio's problems. It, people are like, oh, it, or the the athletes themselves and the coaches, they're like, we can't really use it as an excuse. I'm like, I think you can in this instance. Oh, yeah. I, think, I really think you can. And I don't know if it's a joke or if it actually this is how it went down, but just to kind of stress the the last-minute nature of all of this, the, the Dockers have posted on Instagram the text that Michaela Weston, one of the players who was called up very last minute, got from Trent Cooper, the coach, and it was, hey, Michaela, just tried to call to see if you're interested in having a kick today. No big deal. It's just a small ground called Optus against Melbourne. Coops. I, I don't, love that so much. <laughs> I'm, I'm really hoping it's real and it's not like the, the social media team, like, haha, this would be funny, because if that's 
you know, and uh, allegedly this message was sent at 11.29am on Saturday. So it's like it, we're, we're talking same day kind of thing. I, I really don't think we can kind of talk about just how big a spanner in the works those oh. omissions were. And mm-hmm. the Dockers absolutely played like that. But speaking of the way teams played, you wanted to talk about it a little bit. We know that, you know, the D's game style is kick and mark and the fact that they got to play on Optus really really helped that it's a a far cry I think you can safely say from Casey Fields but talk to us a little bit about you know just how big a role the actual surroundings and the ground played in this game and why we should maybe be playing in more kind of enclosed stadiums. Yes I definitely think that the Melbourne cracking that 100 happening at Optus is such a good um, argument for having these AFLW games played at bigger bigger stadiums. I think one of the main arguments that is thrown up against why the AFLW shouldn't be professionalised just yet, you know, this is coming from a community that doesn't watch the game, I would say, is that it's very low scoring, therefore it's a bit boring or not not good to watch. And, you know, as as the game develops and, you know, as it gets higher scorers, well, then they can play at the big stadiums. But what comes first, chicken or the egg? You know, like this is such a good example of you give them these big stadiums to play at and they can rack up the high scores. Like if you give them the opportunity to do so, they absolutely can because they've got the talent too and they've showcased that on the weekend by cracking the 100 and getting an 88-point win. So playing at these big stadiums is very exciting but one of the biggest uh elements and contributions to how it affects the games is how it is protection from the elements so melbourne usually play at casey fields which is renowned for having just bananas wind like the wind just wrecks havoc on those games and melbourne are also known for having kicking accuracy problems you've just put them in a stadium that is completely protected and they've kicked a hundred points because they were able to kick accurately without that wind causing havoc on the games. And you could argue, you know, well, they should be able to be able, you know, to play in the elements. Well, that argument doesn't exist in the men's because you put them in protected stadiums and you get better football. They also had the room to move, which absolutely contributes it when you've got that game style of, you know, these passages of play that rely pretty heavily on just mark and kick. When you've got more room to move, you've got more more room to show that off and to be able to do that more accurately. I think it is such a good argument for put them in the bigger stadiums, you get better games, you get better scores. It's good for everyone. And it's just super exciting to watch. I really do agree that it it, it plays a role. And I think it's we often talk about the elements in AFLW relating to kind of the heat, which is obviously Mm. a a huge factor, but something like the wind in a suburban ground, I'm I'm a little bit torn because I really love the suburban grounds, but if they don't Mm. kind of offer the best surroundings for these players to actually play their best possible game, are they the best venue? And then obviously you've got to factor in crowds and things like that. So I feel like there's a, a lot of considerations in this conversation, but if we were talking just from a pure what environment will get us the best footy, then 
obviously these big stadiums are the answer because we, we, the proof is absolutely in the pudding. We literally saw it on the weekend. It was unbelievable to watch. But if we could just take the food trucks that from the, you know, <laughs> these yeah. local crowds and then put them in the big stadiums. Yeah. That's, that's my suggestion. I, I want to see the A1 bakery, <laughs> the <laughs> Melbourne A1 bakery dishing out pies yes. at Optus Stadium. <laughs> Make that happen. I We're very simple people. These are our demands. They're very easy. Make it happen, AFL. Really I not say. asking too much. <laughs> it's just a couple of pies or a couple <laughs> hundred pies. I don't, I don't know. We'll find out. Let's backtrack just a little bit to mm-hmm. one of the teams that is still technically a mathematical chance of making finals, Carlton. The reason they are a, still technically a chance is because they've really put together a strong second half of the season. All of a sudden, things are working. We saw glimpses of it. We knew that they kind of had a, a relatively decent, I would say, defensive structure. There was a lot to like about what they were doing. Goals were sometimes an issue and that kind of transition between the the arcs was a bit of an issue. But all of a sudden now they're getting the wins. They're playing good footy. And we end up in a situation now where they're technically not out of the finals conversation, but they literally only have one more game to prove their worth. So talk to us a little bit about the Blues and what's kind of happening with them in this last game of the season. Yeah, Carlton, it kind of feels like the tale of Carlton, um, at least in the short history of the league, that they really get into gear in the second half of the season. We especially saw this last year and they ended seventh on the ladder so they didn't get to make finals and it feels like this is going to be a repeat of that same story where you know they kind of flounder a bit in the first couple weeks and it it you know for this season it really looked like they just weren't able to click and they had the players to be one of the top sides and they were performing individually quite well but as a team they just couldn't really get into their groove or find that rhythm that they have now seemed to find and it's really disappointing to to know that they could go quite far now that they've got that rhythm and be a really impressive side and rival some of these top teams but the season's done like there's only one round left so because of these short seasons it's just it's too late for them to show us what they could do and as fans and as you know members of the community that just love to see good footy it's really disappointing not being able to see what they could be and that you know Mimi Hill's come back in um so they had a few weeks without her and she's come back in and then the whole team's elevated well that's a tale that you can see like across the entire league this isn't just Carlton specific although I just think it's Carlton a very big example of it where because the seasons are so short, if you've got to play it out for a few weeks, that can really impact the entire season and where they end on the ladder and if they get to play finals or not. I mean, it's incredibly um, prevalent this season with COVID um, and health and safety protocols, taking certain players out and then having that as just such a big impact on the entire season as a whole, because it's only 10 rounds. There's only 10 rounds of the home and away game. If you have three bad games that's what a third of your entire season and of course teams have bad games we we see this in the men's comp I go for Essendon so I say this all the time I'm very well aware that you can have three four five 
more bad games and still make finals. Same thing with Carlton. Like, they should absolutely have the opportunity to have had a handful of bad games, get into gear and make finals. Like, every team should have that opportunity. We can't just expect that every single game will be an amazing one. And, yeah, a win or a loss in this season is the difference between finals or not. And that's that's disappointing because I would really love to see what Carlton could do now that they've gone to their groove. You're absolutely right. And I think one of the unfortunate things is that this scenario isn't specific to footy either. We see in a lot of women's sports with their short condensed mm-hmm. seasons, the fact that it is a sprint and not the marathon of the men's season, not a, a full home and away, they, they're they not given the opportunity to kind of gel and click. So you really are supremely punished if you're not on from the get-go. And there's always a story of one or two teams that kind of all of a sudden gets their act together halfway through the season and they really start playing good footy or good soccer or whatever kind of sport it is. So you just think to yourself, imagine if they actually had a proper season to play. Obviously, sometimes timing doesn't work out and we see it in the men's game as well, you know, like it's not saying, oh, we should extend the season every time a team gets on a good run in the back half of the season. Mm. That's not what we're asking because that's all of a sudden then it's like we never stop playing because there's (laughs) ebbs and flows when it comes to form with teams. But the fact that the AFLW, they're they're not given the proper amount of time to actually fully flesh out the narratives of a season you know what I mean so it's disappointing and unfortunately while the competition remains condensed this is going to be something that happens every year we're going to have a team or two that will never we won't really be able to judge their season because the sample size is just way too small and other teams that were able to get it from the get-go obviously they're going to do well and it's great that they've done well and they've been able to make it work from the start but for your teams like a Carlton it's always going to be that kind of situation of but what if we actually did have a proper season what Mm. could we have done what could we have achieved what would this season actually be like if we were given that opportunity to to play a proper season and I wonder how it affects them mentally as well when you're three rounds in and you know that finals is, you know, almost out of your grasp. I can't imagine that's good for team mentality at all. No, and it's I think it's something that we're kind of talking about more and more, just kind of the the mental aspect of having to go full throttle for such a short period of time and mm. then having to switch that off in a way and all of a sudden either return to to VFL or whatever other kind of level of footy you're playing or maybe even no footy at all. Although Carlton are still mathematically in the chance of finals so there is a chance that they will just be the ultimate smoky and they could still not only play finals but play finals well and get the flag. Could you imagine? That I, I literally can't imagine, Mum. I literally <laughs> cannot imagine. It's like bat out of hell. Where did they come from? Oh my, that. Imagine. It would be such a good story. Imagine singing that song. 
I just, I can't. I'm just thinking about, you know, we were asked for ESPN to do kind of our big call or our big story for the season. I don't think anyone could have possibly formulated Carlton come from nowhere. <laughs> we win enormously in the last round. Pies and dogs also lose to not only get them into finals, but then end up winning the whole thing. I don't think anyone, not even the most kind of hopeful or optimistic fan is is conjuring up that storyline. No, I'm so here for it. <laughs> I love it. It's it's very funny to me. Before we move on to the handy point, I wanted to give a big congratulations to the three players that racked up their 50th games over the weekend. So Ali Anderson, Emily Bates and Eb Marinoff, friend of the pod, Eb Marinoff. We got to have a chat to her last week. So definitely go check that chat out. But such an incredible milestone for those three players. Good to see that they were all able to get wins as well. It's always a a nice milestone. You could say they were very reluctant to get in on the Gatorade showers. They were like, I've done this <laughs> once. I don't want to do it again. Keep the, keep your Gatorade in your bottles, girls. Like, no, thank you. And we've also got to acknowledge that Libby Birch is the next player set to hit the 50. She'll be hitting that milestone this weekend. So a big congrats to her. And we should have a couple coming up in the final series as well. So it's awesome that we're now at that stage where these players are racking up these milestones and we get to celebrate them. And it was also, I just loved seeing Ali Anderson in the 50th game with the win in the Indigenous um, Guernsey that she designed. I loved it. I thought it was really special and just a great, great moment. That is so special. And I, I tweeted it as well. I was like, the fact that Emily and Ali got to do it together, I can just mm-hmm. imagine that's so so special for the two of them and something that they'll always kind of have between the pair of them. But let's move on to the handy point. It's the big the big story of the last kind of 24 hours. We've been talking about how there's only one round left of footy and then finals and then what are we going to do? Apparently we're going to play a whole other season if the reports are true. <laughs> So four months. <laughs> in four months, the the story goes, there are reports that the next season of AFLW will be brought forward to August this year. That means it will start in the men's pre-final buy and then go through until the end of November, first week of December. So apparently the AFL Commission has given this idea provisional approval, but it is contingent on the approval of all the clubs because obviously they're the ones that are going to have to get their entire kind of teams and organisation ready in four months and particularly the four new teams that are coming in. They're going to have to get everything ready including Marnie's Dons in the next five months which is maybe you know they're they're obviously at very different stages of their life cycle someone like a Hawthorne that at least has a coach in line it's probably a little bit easier than an Essendon who doesn't have a coach in line at the the moment same deal with the Swans who have the coach but Port they've got I think a, a women's footy ops boss but I don't know. But anyway, we're basically waiting to see what happens there. All of the teams will need to approve this move. There's so much to consider when it comes to this move, not only obviously the the four-month break between the two seasons, but also what this means for players, for coaches, for all of it. So 
it's a very broad one, but give me your initial takes because it's it's very fresh. Like we said, we've only heard about this in the last 24 hours. So what are your genuinely initial kind of thoughts and reactions to this news? Um, I guess a bit of shock and it just feels a bit surreal that we'll be doing all this again in just four months' time when August rolls around. Well, four months in between, you know, the end of this season and then the start of the next one that is such a short period of time I feel like we'll blink and it will happen there are a lot there's there's a lot to unpack um with an August start and there are a lot of feelings that I have seen a lot of heated feelings about this start I do want to say that from my understanding the players have been consulted about this and it has been you know, it's not just one person that was sitting in a boardroom thinking, August seems nice, let's do August. Like I, there was, there's been a lot of consideration that's gone into this and a lot of discussion that's gone into this and a lot of different key players um, in this decision. So that that's very important and very integral to how this conversation goes. I think that with such a huge and drastic uh, decision like this um there will ultimately be winners and losers and good things and bad things I also think it's it's such an important point that there was no perfect solution to when the AFLW season starts and when the next one starts so there were always going to be good things about it there were always going to be bad things about it I think it's very unrealistic for us to have wanted and assumed like a perfect solution to come out of AFL house. That's just not, that that was never going to happen. So yes, four new teams are coming in, which is, is I feel like this season gone by has had so many asterisks uh, on it and a lot of disruption. The exact same thing is going to happen next season it is as much as COVID has just been the storyline for every single round it has impacted games and players and how the seasons turned out and the exact same thing's going to happen with this short turnaround of seasons for the next season plus uh, I assume COVID will still be a disrupting factor given how close the next season will be Yes, so there, there's good things and there's bad things. And I really do feel for these players who have taken leave to be able to play the season, just well, the season we're in. I was going to say gone by, but we're literally the last home and you know, the last round of the home and away season. So there's so many players that have taken leave to be able to play because it is a semi-professional competition. So all these players have work outside of playing football. And they've had to take, a lot of them have had to take leave from their jobs or organise with their employers to be able to play. And then to be able to do that again in only a few months' time, I feel like that's going to be a lot of problems for a lot of players. And we may see some players just not be able to play and it might drive some players out, which is such an important part of this story. And it's, it's a really sad one. Another really sad one, I think, is that we have seen a mammoth amount of injuries, especially ACLs this season. It takes 12 months to rehab. This means that those players that have done their ACLs are not just missing this season, but they'll miss next season. And to miss two seasons of this game that you have just 
sacrificed so much for and are so dedicated to and it's such a you know a joy and a privilege to be able to play at AFLW level and to miss two whole seasons is so disappointing and so heartbreaking and for their teams as well you know we've seen how important Brie Davey uh, is to Collingwood, especially their midfield. And when she went down with the ACL, that really disrupted Collingwood and their brand of footy. And it's taken a while for them to get back into uh, a, a groove without her. So it's really disruptive to teams as well when they can't have their players back for two seasons. It's also an incredibly short downtime. So these players, you know, footy's so it's so impactful on the body it's such a physical game to only get a few months downtime when they're working full-time jobs mind you it's not like they've got months just you know rehab or sit on the couch or whatever they want to do they've got to just go back to their regular lives which is full-time work and families and also I assume they want to actually see their friends and families um and they've only got you know this incredibly short period to be able to have that downtime and also get all the preseason stuff in, you know, like preseason will come up incredibly quickly. So it's not a lot of, it's not a lot of time in between. And then you've got four new clubs who need to put teams together. And as you mentioned, Essendon and Port haven't even appointed a coach yet. So that's only a few months to get a coach, get a team, and then also get that team cohesion and that team connection. That doesn't just happen with a, you know, a snap of the fingers that takes time and it takes time to build and the same thing will happen to all the other teams who will lose players to those clubs so their team list will also change and it takes time for that connection to and that team cohesion to be built it's going to be disruptive to every single team every single club this will be disruptive for them so those are some of the, I guess, negatives and things that really have to be considered. But with, you know, the league won't be playing in the height of summer. That is such a huge, huge, huge positive. I don't think we can expect these women to be running around in 30 plus, you know, sometimes 36 degree heat. That was just so unrealistic and really damaging to the comp. And I would say to these players, not playing in the height of summer, big tick they absolutely had to change the league so it wasn't you know during those months and they've done that I I I do also tip my hat off to the it really feels like AFL listened to all of the voices that were saying summer doesn't work and it's really nice when it feels like you're not just shouting into a void but it actually is listened and that conversation feels like was definitely taken very seriously um and I commend AFL for for listening and not just being like, oh, well, you know, you, you've done it once. That's just how it is. Carry on. But being like, this didn't work. People said it didn't work. We have to listen to that. And we've, you know, moved the comp so it's not in the height of summer. That's great. Also, I, I've seen a, a bit of commentary about, well, it'll be at the same time as the men's. Isn't that bad? Because, you know, you'll be competing for attention and eyeballs and broadcasting and news stories in the papers. I disagree. I think that having the season brought forward to August and having that start in the, you know, in that pre-finals buy means that the start of the competition probably won't get the attention that it needs uh, and deserves, at least not in the immediate future. 
But then once finals are done for the men's comp and then hopefully that attention will get put on the women's comp and that momentum because everyone at the end of the men's season, everyone is like so just they're so sad that footy's done and there's all of this energy and momentum and it will be so awesome to see all of that put into the the women's season so transferred over yes I would love it if it was at the start of the women's season but I don't think that while men's finals are playing it'll get as much attention as it deserves and needs but then it'll get all of that momentum will be put into the women's especially for women's finals right now I'm pretty frustrated at the women's are going into finals at the same time that men's practice matches are on and the men's practice matches are getting all of the big stories all of the attention all of the media coverage um that is it's so disappointing it's 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 really frustrating as well when you've got a whole season and you know you you know how excited the AFLW community is for these finals and then all of the attention is just put on the men's comp and it's also so frustrating when you're just out and about in the world and you're like oh how exciting is it that you know Collingwood are playing Richmond and and someone's just like no they're not they're playing whoever they're playing in the men's match and you know it's where the use of AFLM is really handy because then we can know who's talking about what um and so instead the women will have not only that energy and that momentum that's built up from the men's finals, but we'll have the space and we can just celebrate the women's finals and it's going to be, I and, and, and then, you know, finishing right in time for Christmas, well, right in time for the holiday season, I know not everyone celebrates Christmas, so, you know, finishing right in time for the holiday period, that's awesome. I'm keen for that. What are your, th- sorry, I've talked so much about this. I feel like I've just been like, these are all of my thoughts um, because there's a lot in there. That That's why I'm like, you needed to monologue because there oh, are okay. a lot of thoughts. There are a lot of thoughts and a lot of feel- feelings. And I feel like you've addressed a lot of the same ones that I had, particularly in terms of players backing it up in the same calendar mm. year. I can't imagine these players have, you know, oodles of annual leave to actually call upon mm-hmm. or call upon for a second time in a year. So I am really worried about that. And not just the players. We know that they're obviously the focus in terms of the comp being semi-professional, but everyone else involved, your your coaching staff, your medical staff, all of these people are in the exact same boat. So how we kind of get the entire competition to back it up in such a short period of time, mm. I'm very worried about that. Mm. My my thought process or one of the things that I have been very focused on is the fact that I think the August start time, awesome. And I don't think anyone or there wouldn't be too many people who disagree with that. I think the actual timing of where they want to put the season I think it's really good. It's really smart. I agree with you that I hope that pre-finals buy means that while there will obviously be attention on the men's finals coming up, there will also be enough of a space to really kind of give the women the the kind of attention and media coverage that they deserve. I also think the other thing is the the myth of clean air. We need to just bin it. No matter where you put any of these competitions, there's going to be something else on maybe it's you know not to the same degree as like an AFL men's season but you know 
the tennis in January is still going to dominate things. Cricket over the summer is going to dominate things. There's always going to be something else on that has the potential to detract from viewing and things of that nature. So I think the actual spot of where they want to put this season, good, big fan of it. My question then is, and it's I'm assuming a question that the you know these people have considered is, what's better? short-term pain by making them play two Mm. seasons in a calendar year or kind of then the pain of having to wait over a year for the next season so waiting until August 2023 to get this started which would obviously allow all the players we've lost to injury to fully kind of rehab and get ready would give heaps of time to the um the new clubs to get their kind of houses in order plenty of time for things like drafts to happen to get all of to give the teams kind of the the time and space to build their lists particularly in terms of expansion and what that will mean for not just the four new clubs but the rest of the competition as well it's basically like pros and cons list what's better doing it august now or august next year my natural inclination would be August next year but that's just me I I don't know I just feel like it would to me the pros of that outweigh the cons of it Mm. um but yeah that's my I suppose sticking point but you you really touched on a lot of the things that I think are important and that people are obviously expressing on social media but that I Mm. would hope and assume those actually in the positions of power have considered and discussed and consulted people who live and breathe this stuff every day whom it actually has real tangible effects on so I'm Mm. yeah I think my, my too long didn't read is I agree with moving it to August my point of contention is which August should it have been also have another question that I've just thought of Mm -hmm. which is with the women's coming in as the men's finals will be on I think that it is safe that curtain raises like will be suggested Mm -hmm. and it will be like double headers of the women opening for men's finals I can definitely see that being thrown about I'm not a fan of double headers and the idea that women are the warm-up is is not it but how do you feel about on the same day potentially seeing men's and women's games played I agree with you that it will be suggested and I agree Mm. with you that I don't like them I don't like them anywhere I don't think doublehead is a a good idea logistically um, in terms of what they mean in terms of the optics of having a mm. like you know an entree and a main course kind of situation for weird food analogy but you know what I mean <laughs> um, I don't like them and so as listeners will know my a lot of my focus is on round ball football don't like double headers in there and that's two games of 90 minutes Footy's much longer. Men's footy is way longer. So, I again, this comes into the logistical thing. You want me to sit for a whole AFLW game, which is a good size, and then a whole men's game? That's a big day. That's a lot yeah. of a lot of sitting. And, like, yes, of course, there's going to be the interest because it's finals and stuff, but I really think because there are fewer men's games, because it is finals, surely there are enough time slots to... Mm 
either not have games clashing or if they must clash, just make sure that, you know, the men's and women's teams of the same clubs aren't on at the same time. I think that has to be bare minimum. But in an ideal world, and also because it will be August, September, we can get away with playing more afternoon games because we're not having to factor in the summer heat. So I think the fact that there are fewer games in the men's competition means that we should have the time to let everyone kind of have their own space, to let Mm -hmm. everyone kind of breathe so that we don't need to entertain the doubleheader idea because... I just, I don't like it. I don't think it's good. I understand why it is trotted out by leagues and clubs because it makes sense for them. It makes sense for broadcasters. It might be cheaper two-for-one deals, stadium higher, I don't, whatever it is. But just in terms of being a fan and having to sit through back-to-back games, it's, it's too much. So I am not about mm. the double headers at all. And I don't think it will be done in a very respectful way. I've got, no. I, I went to a um, Melbourne victory. Well, it was a double header, but I just wanted to watch the women's also because it was at like 7 PM and I wanted to be home. I think it was like on a Sunday. <laughs> I was like, I want to go home. Um, but I had to buy a ticket for the men's game. And that was my entry to see the women who were playing first and it was so confusing trying to work out like times and everything because the ticket only said the men's game it was my ticket to the double header but didn't even say that it just said it was my ticket to the a-league men and I even I was physically watching the women's game and I had like alerts on my phone being like you know, Melbourne Victory are playing soon. It's like, well, Melbourne Victory are playing now. And I can imagine that exact kind of same situation to happen if it were to have these double headers where, you know, if I go to see the Essendon women and I'm sitting watching them getting, you know, alerts on my phone being like, Essendon are playing soon. It's like, but they're playing now. Anyway, that's a hypothetical. That could not happen. Mm. But I could just see that happening as you've kind of like illustrated. And I think also that the the ticketing is a really good kind of example of what could happen because say for example we've got four completely different teams so obviously two playing a women's game before two in a men's final people are going to be buying tickets to the men's final and Mm. to be fair that's fair enough it's a finals football we we talk about it all the time you know even where we are right now that practice matches are kind of being given precedence over actual season games and then obviously that leads into regular season men's games versus women's finals games there's always extra attention on finals and I would argue that's pretty fair but yeah if people are snapping up these tickets to watch the men's game that have absolutely no interest in the women's game then pricing out people who actually want to go watch the women's game yeah that's such a good point it's I I don't know how they kind of navigate that I feel like it would be way too logistically hard then to do a kind of two separate ticket things and then getting Mm. fans out of the stadium from one game to let the other ones in. There also is a good chance that there are some people who want to watch too. So I just feel like it's way too logistically messy. So not for me. Hypothetically, you do find yourself at a Western Bulldogs doubleheader at the G. How many pies could you eat during that time? I feel like I would have to get like a full range of like, you know, I could be having 
a coffee and maybe some hot chips and then all of a sudden we'll move into like a pie or something like that maybe in between the two games and then you probably you know by halftime of the men's game you're still a little bit snacky so maybe you're getting some other kind of chips or I don't know maybe something maybe you need a little bit of dessert a little bit of something Mm. sweet I I feel like there would be a lot of a lot of a lot of beers would be drunk across two games especially you wouldn't even know who won by the end I look and especially if like the the dogs men were in finals I would be very nervous but no I think obviously should also kind of just reiterate this is provisional this hasn't Mm. been confirmed so I think like I said all of these kind of things that we've highlighted as being either positive or negative will continue to be fleshed out by people who actually have power and by people who these decisions really properly affect in the way they go about their their lives and their careers so we will obviously continue watching we will obviously talk about it a bit more you may be hearing from us all again very very shortly if it does end up starting in August once again we're going to find out. It's going to be great fun. But let's begin to wrap this pot up because that was a lengthy chat, but I think it was a necessary chat because it's it's the story of the moment. It's a huge news thing, but just as huge is our final round of games. So let's have a look at the round 10 fixtures. So we kick the round off with Geelong and the Giants. We've got Collingwood and Richmond as we flagged in that battle for sixth spot. North take on West Coast. Melbourne take on Carlton. So big task for for Carlton in their quest to technically, mathematically make the finals. And the flag. And the flag. You've got to start a flag run, you know, starts with a single win. Um, The Dogs take on the Lions, so that'll be fun. St Kilda take on the Crows. And then we've got Frio taking on Gold Coast. And another uh, catch-up game, we've got Collingwood taking on Gold Coast as well. So lots of interesting games there. What's your kind of pick of the bunch? Oh, I mean, obviously it's Collingwood, Richmond, um, but I'm also I will also very much be watching percentages when it comes to Crows and Melbourne because of Melbourne's 88 point win on the weekend. Their percentage jumped so many. Their yeah, their percentage jumped by 34.6 points, so they're now on 199.1. Adelaide are on 203.5. Adelaide play St Kilda. So there's a good chance that they will boost their percentage. But that is, but that's so close that, yeah, the, the minor premiership is, it's not locked in. And so I'll be keeping my eye on percentages. Um, and, you know, the, the, the margins that those teams potentially win by as well as obviously keeping my eye very closely on Collingwood Richmond and then, the doggies game after that if pies lose. I was gonna say that's definitely the battle that I will be watching that battle for six. It will be very, very interesting. Can't wait to watch it. Can't wait. Next week we'll be talking about finals, which is oh, I 
forgot to say I'll obviously be watching how Carlton go because they're my <laughs> new smoky flag favourites. You have a lot invested in, in Carlton doing well, but obviously we will talk about all of those games and finals next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you all later. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.